Welcome to the Wisdom and Wellness Parsha podcast, a weekly Eden Center podcast featuring Rabbanit Shani Tarragon with insights from the Parsha about women's health, relationships, mikveh and well-being. This podcast is hosted by the Eden Center that is transforming the mikveh experience by educating women how to use mikveh as the natural platform it is to connect to women's health, well-being and healthy relationships. Read our weekly blogs on a range of fascinating topics, download our wonderful publications, learn about our Balaniyot and Kala teacher trainings, and support us at theedencenter.com. Rabbanit Shani Tarragon has been a leading force in women's Torah learning and in Eden's work, and we are honored to combine two of her passions, Torah education and empowering us about women's health and well-being. Without further ado, Shani. Hello and welcome to Zen's Wisdom and Wellness for Women Parsha podcast. This week we have a double Parsha, Matot Masse. And if you remember from last week, when we discussed that before Am Yisrael go ahead and fight their wars against their external enemies, first they have to refortify and re edify themselves based on their own Jewish values, based on the value of family, starting with the stories of, of counting Am Yisrael per the family, the story of Benot's Lovchad and of the family and the importance of inheriting land within the family, and certainly the beginning of Parshat Masse. Tote, the leaders in particular have to set the tone and the values for listening to wives and listening to daughters within the family setting. And only then, finally, Parak Lamed Aleph, Hashem comes to Moshe and says, Now B'nai Yisrael are ready. Nekom nekmat B'nai Yisrael me'ita midyanim, achar te'asef elamacha. Go now and fight. Take your vengeance against the Midianite woman who seduced the Jewish men into sinning in the terrible sin of Baal Peor. And then, Moshe, you're going to die. And Moshe encourages them. This is going to be their last military feat before entering the land of Israel. And sure enough, they're victorious in the war against the Midianites. And Elazar ben Aaron, who is now the Kohen Gadol, teaches Am Yisrael in the ensuing Psukim, primarily when they returned from war with all the various spoils from the Midianites, were taught in Pasuk Chav Gimel that our Elazar teaches them that they have to take uh, their various spoils, all different metals, they're told that any vessel that came in contact basically with anything that would be hot with fire again has to be purged by fire, the halachot of kashering, of libun. And then the Pasuk says that, yes, they have to be cleansed with the waters of Nida and the Gemara. And Avodazara Dafa Ayin Hei Amud Bet means that other vessels should be purified by immersion in waters used by Anida for her purification, namely a mikvah. And albeit there's a machloka rishonim, whether this is Doraita or Drabanan, it's based on this Pasuk, wherein we see that Kalim have to be placed in water. From here, we learn the laws of Tzvilat Kalim. And Rashi interprets this to mean that all vessels, including those not used with hot food, must be immersed in the mikvah. And it's so interesting that the laws of Tzvilat Kalim are actually related to those of Tzvilat Isha, related to those of the immersion of a woman in a mikvah. 
For after all, what these waters do is they change the status. Here is a case where when one purchases or receives kilim that have been manufactured or given by a non-Jew, even if it didn't come in contact, it's a brand new utensil, it didn't come in contact with any non-kosher food, just like by a woman. When she's ah, there's nothing wrong with her. There is a change in status to bring her to an elevated state of Tehorah. And so, too, to elevate the status of the utensil, teaching us that the waters of the mikvah, the waters of Nida, are able to transform one, are able to elevate one's status. And what we're going to do then is to appreciate how this entire unit, really, of Am Yisrael going and engaging with the same Midianites who brought about to a lowering of the status, who brought about to a plague of 24,000 casualties, who brought about, again, the terrible sin of idolatry and promiscuity of Baal Peor through going and taking vengeance. It's not enough to take their spoils and even to dedicate their spoils to the Beit HaMikdash. Rather, it's an opportunity for elevation. And perhaps one of the other proofs from the Parsha is that we find the Chazal also learn from amongst the spoils that are taken. Perak Lamed Aleph, Pasuka, Mema, Memtet, we begin to see what was taken from the Midianites. And as part of the spoils, we hear that they also took not only the regular Tzmidim, but also we hear in Pasuk Nun, V'nakrivet karban Hashem isha sher matak lekesev, et tada v'tamid tabat agil v'chumaz l'chaper al-nafshotenu l'fnei Hashem. They took all different metals and gold works. They talk, took anklets and bracelets and earrings and nose rings and a chumaz. And Chazal asks, what is this chumaz type of jewelry? bracelets and earrings and even nose rings we know but what's a kumaz and rashi explains the kumaz it's a tfus of a beit rechen shayu osin levnotehen it was a jewel or basically an ornament that was placed it had the shape of a uterus that was given to the daughters and placed basically upon the entrance the kotlei beta rechem literally can attached to their 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 cervical areas basically and almost like a chastity belt. And what's so interesting is that Chazal teach us, from here we learn that something like a kumaz can be like a bracelet. In other words, Rav Shesha teaches us, Why does the Torah tell us in the same Pasuk about something like a kumaz together with uh, earrings and bracelets with uh, that are worn on the outside. This is an intimate piece of jewelry that was worn on the inside to teach you. That even when something is on the outside, it's important to realize that it can also be turned into something more intimate. And we can look at this and understand Rav Shisha teaching us that therefore one should not be staring at a woman with improper intentions because it's like staring at something intimate about her, which also helps us appreciate that even even something that we don't necessarily consider so intimate. Perhaps during the time that a woman is a nida and it's very difficult to 
as we know, observe the harchakot of not having any physical contact, but it actually makes us so much more mindful that every contact, even something so tiny as, as holding hands or touching one another, is really something of of intimacy. It really is a beautiful expression of romance. And what the Torah is teaching us by putting these halachot of tzvilat kelim and of the arayot all within this section of the war against Midian is that you can use intimacy and you can use these kelim, these utensils for something terrible, for promiscuity and idolatry, but you can also take them and you can take even the most debased objects that are out there and you can elevate them. You can tovel them. You can immerse them. You can dedicate them to God. You can understand understand that there is a beauty in the intimacy and within the proper context of marriage and at the right time and it can ultimately be used not just to build families but to help transform us as individuals bringing us closer to Kadosh Baruch Hu. and therefore I want to take an opportunity especially in today's coronavirus times to go over some of the halachot of Tfilat Kelim recognizing that it's different than just kashering a a clee, koshering, a dish, koshering some type of utensil. Because when it comes to having traces of non-kosher food that can remain in the dish, even when it appears to be clean, or basar and chalav, meat and milk that are, mi- are mixed together, we know that we have to truly cleanse it, cleanse it by fire or hot water, depending on how it was used, libun or hagala, to remove any remnants of forbidden food. But the immersion of the vessel in a mikvah serves the different purpose. The reason is to bring the vessel into a new domain, the holy domain of the Jewish people, like a woman immersing in a mikvah, which is all about bringing her into the domain, the domain of once upon a time, the Beit HaMikdash, and the domain of her mini mikdash back into the intimacy of her home. So when a food utensil is in the possession of a non-Jew, in addition to the fact that it's presumably used for non-kosher food, it's also acquired a spiritual impurity as a result of being even in a potentially non-kosher state. When it's purchased by a Jew who will from now on use it for only kosher food, use it to elevate his eating, every aspect of the physical, it needs a ritual cleansing to remove the impurity brought about by the potential use of the vessel for non-kosher food or improper purposes, as we see in the case of the Midianites and Baal Pa'or. For this reason, the law of Tzfilat Kalim applies even when one purchases brand new, never used food utensils from a non-Jew. Of course, if they were also used, they first also have to be koshered, and then only afterwards, they're also going to be immersed in a mikvah. So just quickly, which utensils? Does this include the obligation to immerse utensils purchased from a non-Jew applies, as we see from the psukim, to all metal utensils? And Midrabanan also glass utensils, wooden utensils or stoneware do not have to be immersed. China ceramics that are glazed should be immersed without a bracha. There are differing opinions as to whether or not plastic vessels have to be immersed. The majority opinion seems to posit that they not be immersed. One who does immerse them should not recite a bracha, but rather bring them together with a metal metalware. If a vessel is made of several materials like metal and glass or wood, then if the vessel is made mostly of metal or glass, even if it's held together by wood, one should still immerse it with a bracha. If it's mostly made of wood, but it's held together by metal or glass, you immerse it without a bracha. If it's completely wood, but has a decoration of metal, then it doesn't have to be immersed at all. How about disposable utensils? If a metal utensil is disposable, it need not be immersed. If one plans on reusing it, but it's not durable enough to be used on a permanent basis, like, again, a disposable aluminums, then 
many say, like Rav Moshe Feinstein, that they need not be immersed. There is no, really, no reason to, and not to, to tovel, to immerse something that you're not going to hold on to as one of your kelim. So that would be anything really one-time disposable, but obviously non-disposable should uh, should be immersed before using them. The obligation to immerse utensils apply only to utensils used for food preparation, serving or eating that touch the food directly, also to electrical appliances used in food food preparation that touch the food directly, a toaster, a defryer, a George Foreman grill, or an electric kettle. And in most cases, even these electric appliances can be safely immersed if you allow them to dry, dry out before you plug them in, or fanning the motor also helps very much. If the utensil is used in the food preparation, but not in the final steps of preparation, then the vessel should be immersed without a bracha, such as kneading bowls, a coffee grinder, a knife used to carve only raw meat. Any utensil that does not come in contact with the food, like a corkscrew, does not have to be immersed. And with regard to what's considered owned by a Gentile, it's interesting that if a utensil was made by non-Jewish workers in a Jewish-owned factory, it's considered owned by a Jew and no immersion is needed. If a utensil was made by Jewish workers in a factory owned by non-Jews, then it's considered owned by a non-Jew and therefore has to be immersed. If the company that manufactured the utensil is owned jointly by Jews and non-Jews, the utensil should be immersed, but without a bracha. And that's why if there is a public company, so we're not really sure, then you immerse it without a bracha. We can say that maybe in some cases the shareholders are Jewish. If at any time before reaching the consumer, the utensil was owned by a company whose sole owner was not Jewish, then certainly we would immerse the vessel with a bracha. And just like Tzfilat Isha, when it comes to immersion, a kosher mikvah has to be used. Again, which means anything that would be kosher for use of a woman, for immersing herself, for needs of purposes, would be kosher for tefillat kalim, which is any natural stationary body of water, lakes, ocean, um, again, flowing, any rivers that originate from a spring are kosher as long as there is no significant addition of, of uh, rainwater for this reason, better to to go to the original spring, a swimming pool or other man-made body of water may not be used for tefillat kalim, nor for a woman immersing herself, whether or not a mikvah built specifically again, for use for a mikvah, one should still always check to see whether there are whether it's a kosher mikvah um, in many communities there's a special mikvah designed just for immersing vessels that's built separately so uh, that women can use a separate mikvah also for hygienic purposes. And speaking of hygienic purposes, I want to end by saying that during this time of corona, even though we put a significant amount of chlorine in mikvahot for women in order to kill coronavirus, when it comes to tefillat kalim, and not all mikvahot for kalim have chlorine, it's recommended in all communities that they do put it in so that Families can tovel their kelim without worrying about the virus spreading through the waters. Machon Tzomet before Pesach. And I'll send out this link together with the RCAs. Also recommended for those who were fearful of immersing their kelim to fill out a form wherein 
you basically give your kli as a matana to a goy, to a non-Jew, so you never actually change the status, or to make your kli, to put it outside and make it hefker for everyone so that you're not officially bringing it to your domain. But when you do feel confident going back to the mikvaot and the mikvaot for kalim, that one should then bring it into one's domain and certainly elevate its status by immersing it in a mikvah. Wishing you all not just a wonderful Shabbat and a meaningful one during Bein Hamid Sarim, but especially as we end Sefer Bamidbar, Chumash Habkudim, counting each and every family, rebuilding ourselves as a nation. Chazak, Chazak, Vinit Chazak. May we be all strengthened for the weeks and months to come. Shabbat Shalom. Is there someone in your life that you want to honor? Someone who has helped you out or inspired you? Maybe it's a medical professional or a teacher or a yoetzet who went above and beyond to help you. Or a yard site or death that you want to mark. Please consider making a donation to support this podcast in honor of a special person in your life. This episode of Wisdom and Wellness was recorded by Shani Tarragon. Music courtesy of Shimona Gottlieb and is a product of the Eden Center. If you enjoyed today's podcast, please give us a five-star rating, share this podcast on social media and encourage others to subscribe. We welcome your feedback, sponsorships and support. You can reach us at www.theedencenter.com.